Once Upon a Time, Season 4, Episode 16 is over, but we are just getting started here on Once Upon a Recap. Hello, all you magical people out there. Mike Bloom here, and I am joined, as always, he claims he just rode in on a unicorn. It's the one and only Kurt Clark. Kurt, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm I'm hoping that was a horn. Now, when you touched what you thought was the horn, did you get a vision of how this podcast would turn out for the week? Yes, and... uh, it's going to be extremely awesome. It's going to be amazeballs. So, good, uh, good. I'm, I'm glad you got... Uh, hopefully someone else didn't touch the horn and get a, the complete opposite vision, which means that this podcast is capable of being either amazing or horrible. Yeah, then we have to find a blank slate podcast and uh, ca- cast the, the darkness into it. Yes, exactly. And for all we know, that could take that podcast into outer space or something, or uh, in a plot point that will be conveniently brought up like eight episodes before this happened. But I mean, uh, we were just talking about this before we started recording, and we thought last week had a lot, lot to unpack. And this week, almost like double the, the workload in terms of narrative structure here. We found we got a lot of reveals tonight, Kurt. Yeah, yeah, we did. We did. A lot of, a lot of questions. I think it's a lot of, I think we can say there were more questions answered than questions raised. I, I would agree with that. I mean, though, I think now that the author has actually been unleashed into Storybrooke, I think there's going to be a lot more questions regarding his ancestry and his story, pun unintended, altogether. But I do agree that, I mean, we, we got the big other question. We, we had two big questions answered here, which was, what did Snow and Charming exactly do to draw Maleficent's ire with her child? And also, who was Maleficent's child? As we found out, it is indeed. Some people have speculated as to, as to who it might be. It is indeed Lily, which was Emma's friend back during that flashback episode in the first half of the season. Who uh, the it was the foster friend that she made where they were they hid out together, but it turns out she just had a family and she ran away from them and she betrayed Emma's trust and she loves Harry Potter, so. I don't want to bury the lead too much here, Kurt, but what, I'll start off with what, what did you generally think about that Lily reveal? Were you surprised to see it happen? Were, were you, did you see it coming, you know, down the, the lane in the Enchanted Forest and you knew it was coming from a mile away or was it somewhere in between? Uh, I didn't see it coming from a mile away, but earlier in the episode, Emma does reference to Hook, uh, Lily, I was like, oh, that's a strange name to bring up. And then when it started, when it was revealed, you know, at one point it's revealed that the Maleficent's baby is actually uh, looks like a human or at least looks like any other baby. Uh, I was wondering if it was going to potentially be Lily. Because uh, I think I even said back in the episode where Lily was mentioned, I was like, I, I really did not like that episode. But I believe I had the caveat. I was like, we better see Lily back in some form or that was like the most pointless episode ever. We, yeah, we will. We're, we're I think. We're no, 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 no. No, I'm saying the old episode where yeah, Lily yeah, yeah. was mentioned. Yeah. yeah, I said that would have I think coming out of that that episode, I said, if we don't see Lily again, then that was pointless. And. I'm glad. And so it comes full circle. We do mention her again. We do see it again. So that gives me better, better thoughts about the first episode where Lily was mentioned. Yeah. And I think I remember us talking about it because I think the show has kind of matured past the point of just throwing in random people to play important characters in the flashbacks. I feel like from now on, if a character appears in a flashback scene and they seem somewhat pertinent, that means they'll have some sort of relevance to the main plot, whether that means that they exist in the real world or they have a counterpart in the real world or they have a relative in the real world. I feel like every 
flashback character has their significance here. And we saw that twofold here in both yeah. Lily from a previous episode and we'll get to the eventual reveal of the author. And, you know, uh, I feel like we, we got a lot of flashbacks to the episode that you were not so fond of, not only through Lily's uh, Lily's big reveal, but also the fact that we got to see Teenage Emma again. Did you recognize Teenage Emma when she was in Snow White's Vision? Um, I, well, I knew that it was supposed to I felt that it was supposed to be Teenage Emma. I couldn't speak with certainty that it was the same actress that had played her before, but she looked familiar, so, I'm, so I just guessed that it was. Yeah, I'm, I'm pr- like 85% sure that it was the same actress. Yeah, and so, yeah, it was... I had to say, though, that I was, um, I was less... I was more surprised by the Lily reveal than by the author reveal, but we can we can get to that when we get to that. Yeah, so let's let's start off with some unicorn talk here since we started the podcast with some unicorn talk. We'll like last week, I don't believe there really was a, a significant B storyline. So what we'll do is we'll start with the flashback stuff, especially since it, since it has such ramifications on what's to come in the main plot. And then we'll just kind of lump all the storybook stuff together since basically the motto of the storybook storyline this episode was get the book. Get the book. So Snow and Charming are, you know, they're they're running through the Enchanted Forest and apparently something new to the Once Upon a Time universe that we did not know existed were unicorns. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm not completely surprised, but yeah, I believe this is the, the first times that we've actually seen one. Now, Kurt, as a self-proclaimed brony, were you excited to see some equestrian action on this episode of Once Upon a Time? That could be taken so many different ways, but I will just answer it by denying any sort of brony status. Plead the fifth. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm not pleading the fifth. I'm saying I'm not a brony. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So we'll, let by. We'll, we'll, we'll see at the comment section has anything to say about that. Uh, yeah. So apparently the magic with this unicorn is that the, the unicorn also kind of functions as a seer, but much less creepy in the fact that if you touch a horn, if you touch the unicorn's horn, I guess you'll get a vision of what is to come. But apparently that vision al- almost always involves a jungle setting, it seems. Uh, oh, I thought we were back in Neverland for a moment. I'm like, oh, no, 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 please, no. Peter Pan will just come out. Walk away from Neverland. Yeah, I, I didn't know. But it seemed to just be a general uh, place with lush forestation. Yeah, a lot, lots of vegetation that's yeah. uncommon in Mist Haven. But it seems that when both parents touch the horn, they have completely different visions. Charming has a quite a happy vision where he finds a, a baby in a basket and he the baby's giggling and he lifts it up and they're having joyous times. But snow has a vision where she is, she finds teenage Emma and they have this conversation that mimics literally the conversation that they have later on, which is, uh, I think it's like, I'm, I'm your, I'm your mother. I don't care, which is a little reminiscent of Tommy Lee Jones and the fugitive, but I think it, it, it envisions all uh, teenage conversations to a certain extent. So I don't know how much snow should take this vision into for, uh, into account when she says that her daughter will turn out to be evil. Yeah, it's uh, well, she, maybe she's not, I mean, well, I guess she was a, a teenage female once. So, I mean, she could have maybe looked at it through that filter, but I think the fact that this, this young teenager literally ripped her heart out and crushed it, gave her pause and said, you know, this is something we should consider. Yeah. And it's interesting. Uh, tying this back to the whole hook seer thing in season two, I kind of like these, these recurring motifs of the older generation feeling their demise will come at the younger generation. It's pretty, it's pretty dark and obviously not as darkly fleshed out in a show like once upon a time, but I think it's a fun theme of these older, this older generation kind of has to constantly watch the younger generation because they know that they'll eventually have the potential to, to be their undoing. 
Yeah, and it's, it's a little strange in the storybook timeline, given that the younger generation is the same age as the older generation in physical appearance. Yes, that I think that that throws a big wrench into the plans. But after they touch the unicorn horn, as they're walking through the enchanted forest, they find a peddler, and and initially an expository peddler who basically says, oh, would you happen to know this? Maleficent has laid a big dragon egg, and she's also guarding it, and there's also a man in a cottage who can help you. Now, Kurt, obviously we'll find out later that this man is the author. When you first saw the character, did you have suspicions that he would have some sort of relevance later on? Um, I don't know if I had suspicion that he would have relevance later on as much as I didn't trust him here. Like I thought that he was steering them in the wrong direction for some reason. I didn't know if perhaps this was Maleficent in disguise or I thought it was somebody we knew in disguise. Um, but I, I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't completely trust him. I, I don't know the actor's name, but I've seen him in other things. So it was, yeah. it was a little bit, it was a little bit meta in terms of, oh, this is somebody I've seen in stuff before. So he's going to have a bigger role than what we just saw here. I had the exact same thought as you. The actor is named Patrick Fisher. And the two things that I recognize him from, one is that he played one of the Dharma Initiative guys in Josh Wiggler's golden fifth season of Lost uh, when everyone went back in time. He was one of the Dharma guys there. But the other one is he was in the second season of Mad Men for a few episodes. He played a he played a comedian who did those Utz chip commercials and his wife uh, had an affair with Don Draper. So that's where I recognize him from. I believe he was also uh, played the cousin slash owner of the bail bond shop in One for the Money, uh, which was starring the woman who was in all of Seth Rogen movies where he got her pregnant and blah, blah, blah. Catherine Heigl. Thank you. I can remember Catherine Heigl's name. Yeah, he, yeah, but I had the I had the exact same logic as you in terms of he seems like a fairly significant character actor at this point that, again, if this was maybe a season one flashback, he might just have a bit part. But because I think he was hired specifically for this role, he's got to have some sort of significance down the line. There was that one shot when they after they left him where it kind of lingered on him on him for a second. And I definitely thought it would have been someone like Gold or Maleficent in disguise. But yeah. it turned out not to be. And it's the potential to have that he's much more powerful than both of them combined. Yeah, the fact that he seemed to continue to be peddlery after uh, Charming and Snow White took off made me be like, oh, he is kind of on the up and up then. He's not actually uh, somebody in disguise because he, he kept up. the. If he was, he kept up the disguise for longer than he needed to. Very true. So eventually, uh, you know, there's no Little Red Riding Hood-esque stories for Snow and Charming here. They follow the path and they get to the cottage and it is the long-awaited return of the Sorcerer's Apprentice, or as Kurt theorizes, the Sorcerer. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, we have not, yes, we've not seen hide nor hair or clue or hint of anything representing a Sorcerer. So my guess is still continues to be that the Sorcerer's Apprentice is actually the Sorcerer. And I mean, we talk a lot about uh, precognition here in this episode, and we see it again with the Sorcerer's Apprentice, who not only knew who they were, but knew what they were upset about and what they were coming to do. Yeah, I mean, you have to be a Sorcerer to do that. But I wonder also if it, if, it, if it connects to the author a little bit, too. You know, I don't want to uh, relate too much like the, the movie Stranger Than Fiction. I don't know if you if you remember that one, Kurt. That was where Will Ferrell was literally like living in a book where I think Emma Thompson was like narrating what would happen to him. So I wonder if this story had kind of already been predetermined from the beginning and the sorcerer has knowledge of all the stories that are going in the book and it's just the author who's supposed to record those stories. I think we kind of find later on that... Uh, the sorcerer as a character was written 
by the author to be somebody who would know things uh, in a magical way. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I think that, I mean, I don't believe that uh, he knew that the author had done anything. Just the fact that this is the, I, the way that I felt it had kind of unrolled here was that Charming and Snow and the Sorcerer kind of found themselves embroiled in the story that the author was writing. And in that story, the Sorcerer magically knew what happened when they came to his door. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an interesting hierarchical relationship between the two of them too i feel like because if the author did indeed create the sorcerer the sorcerer at least in the in the last scene we saw with the apprentice holds a good amount of power over the author since he's the one that ultimately banishes him to the book i didn't think that the author created the sorcerer i think the author guided the path and the actions of the sorcerer and charming and, and david interesting that's, that's how i saw it that he basically shapes the fate of the characters, but the, he has to work with the characters that are in existence. Okay, so as I said, I think we'll find out a lot more now that the author has actually been revealed. I think we'll actually find out a lot more about what the rules are exactly of being the author. But I wonder, again, how those kind of come up to butt with the powers of the sorcerer, whether one's more powerful than the other in, in some regards. Yeah, my, my I think it depends on how you define power, but... It's we'll we'll get to that when we when we get to the reveal of the sorcerer at the reveal of the author at the end. Yeah. So the, they basically, you know, yada, yada off camera and, and talk about their visions. And the apprentice says, well, there's a good chance that both are true, because as we've learned about in the past, Emma basically has a 50 50 shot of either being good or evil, essentially. <laughs> but there is a, a way for him to kind of purge Emma of the potential for evil. Uh, but they need a living vessel to do so uh but you know initially they're like well david charming is the big voice of reason this episode i think this episode basically just shows snow white being a a little manic through both in the flashback and in the main storyline and david says no we're we're not we can't do this but then snow says wait let's think about this unborn child that maleficent has that could easily be a vessel yeah see i the way that i saw it was that it seemed like in the flashback uh, Snow White was kind of like making all the wrong decisions for all the right reasons, whereas in the or what she felt were the right reasons, whereas in Storybrooke in the present day, it seemed like David was really driving the bad decision train in terms of making questionable decisions. And uh, yeah. Mary Margaret may have been a little bit more manic, but she was a little bit more of the voice of reason in the present day. No, yeah, you're you're right about that. Thinking about it again, I'd, I'd forgotten briefly that David tried to pro- basically murder the author by burning that page. Yeah. Nope. Oops. So now the the plan is to get the egg, and uh, I I had forgotten why the the timeline that this was transpiring because you know it's been a few episodes since we saw that one flashback episode with Snow and Charming. I'd forgotten that the Queens of Darkness had been together at this point, but we see brief glances of Ursula and Corella, and I mean I'm glad that the Ursula actress gets to s- stick around for a few flashbacks, considering that she had her farewell episode last episode. But they they knock her out, they knock them out pretty easily. They find the egg, and I don't know if, why they didn't expect the egg to be guarded by the dragon, but, uh, you know, for all the, this almighty power that the dragon has, they'll be, they, they were able to use the egg as a pretty big bargaining chip to get what they wanted. Yeah, I, I don't, yeah, it's, it seems, well, they, they were kind of on the, the, the power end of that, uh, that deal right there because they were pretty much using the, the egg as a dragon slash human shield. Um, but, yeah, it was, in, you know, surrounded by all this strange like what does a dragon baby shower look like do you think because there was a lot of stuff there yeah i think all the dragons crowd around and they they play games like pin the diaper on the egg 
or they they try to guess the name names for the baby or they're they're always giving them sort of some sort of like kitchen supplies or onesies whether they know it's going to be a baby or a dragon is another story yeah you can you kind of have like four things going on there first you have to guess the gender and then you have to guess the race like it's, it's a, the, know, species, yeah. the species yeah 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 so they're able to you know maleficent shrinks down into human form and there's actually an interesting little exchange here where Snow White tries to rationalize everything by saying, well, we have to take this egg because it'll turn into a monster like you. But Maleficent kind of quips back by saying, well, who are you? And I think that's that will connect further with what these guys kind of do this this episode, which is, you know, does the end justify the means? Do they should they keep lying and digging holes for themselves and possibly burning people alive in order to keep their secrets hidden and to make sure that they, they keep their daughter safe? But for now, the the end justifies the means, and they run out of the the cave, yelling in hindsight that they'll that they'll they'll promise they'll bring it back. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's at least a nice little nod that that you know Snow White has the best of intentions here, but you know they say the road to hell is paved with good intentions, um, and. Yeah, so you, I think I, I really felt for Maleficent here, and I don't yeah. know how much of it was the, I mean, the fact that she didn't have her, uh, her little pointy ear hat on thing that you got to see her like blonde hair just kind of flowing down. Uh, I, I thought that that made her seem more presentable and more quote unquote human uh, and more relatable, and so I, I was actually was really feeling for her here. Yeah, I agree as well because. I mean, I know we saw in the previous flashback episode with these guys that Maleficent was the one to tell Snow White about Emma's propensity for evil. But I mean, she at least the way things were portrayed this episode, she really did not deserve anything that happened to her. No, not at all. And you you, you like I said, lots of empathy for for Maleficent it came out of uh, came out of this episode. Yeah, especially after this next scene where they bring the egg to the apprentice and the apprentice decides to put the to put the spell on him. And, he's, and they start to, you know, analyze the lyrics of his chanting and they realize that he's talking about setting it to distant shores. And, you know, those the apprentice quips that, well, well, we want to make sure that this hugely evil being will never have a chance of corrupting anyone near here again so you know you talk about the the road to hell is paved with good intentions i feel like for a second i thought we had seen the road to hell because a big red pit opens up in the ground i thought it was gonna be the pit to like the underworld but it, it turns out corella and ursula arrive and kind of clumsily get thrown in so what we can assume is that this is just a portal to the real world yeah uh why don't we rewind a few moments because this is one of the few times where people actually have to do some sort of chant to cast a spell. Yeah, that was that was something that actually stuck out of my mind. It's like maybe he really is an apprentice because he still actually has to use the mnemonic device of whatever he has to say out loud. Like all the magic casting we've seen up to this point, for the most part, has been just wave your hand and it's done. But he had to go through this. This is the first time we've seen like a long, complicated incantation that had to be spoken. So I thought that that was interesting. But I think to your point, it's. At least that delivery gives them a clue that there's something something going on here more than meets the eye. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did, did you I thought the whole Ursula Cruella thing was kind of shoehorned. Yes, it was. It was a little it was a little Three Stooges ish. Like, yeah. in terms of, like they bumbled. They, they kind of like bumbled in and, and fell in. And, um, and 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 then this I'm not sure. So they went to the real world two and that's, this, that's what i'm assuming yeah is this how they ended 
up there? Or because I thought they got banished. When, I think when the spell was cast, that's how they. When the dark magic spell was cast, that's how they ended up there. I thought. No, I'm I'm right. going to assume that that's how they got to the real okay. world, and that's how they were able to retain their memories. Oh yeah, which that's... is which is probably how Corella was able to you know meet a man and marry Mister Feinberg, considering that she was living in the real world for like thirty years before Gold Take came to them. That's true, and that's also how they they got there separately from. They kind of got separated from Maleficent at that point. It was kind of those two on their own. Yeah, and it's okay. inter- it's interesting though thinking about the aging rules because. Ursula and Cruella, because they're played by the same actresses, didn't age. But Lily, even though she was born in the Enchanted Forest, aged completely. Yeah. And the other thing is, like, I'm just realizing that we don't know what uh, what what present day Lily would look like. We just know teenage Lily. Yeah, which so, will, which will be interesting. I don't, I don't think she's a character that we currently know. I'm I'm sure they've right. booked an actress because I I'm pretty sure it's guaranteed that we'll see adult Lily at some point through the rest of the season, right, Kurt? Ah. Uh, I think we would have to at some point. Um, it's I don't I like when Once Upon a Time reveals that this character that you knew is actually this person, and so I was kind of hoping that I was like waiting for the author to be revealed to be somebody that we already knew and to kind of have the dots connect in that way. Uh, didn't quite turn out that way. I, I'm wondering if Lily slash Lilith is somebody we already know, but I don't think there's any chance of that happening. I think it's going to be a new a new person. Well, I wonder if Lily will truly be Lilith if she appears to Emma naked, covered in blood. Yes, yeah, because Lilith in mythology, not a good person. No, not at all. So maybe, and, and you know, she's been imbued with the propensity for evil that Emma was supposed to be given at first. So this will be interesting now. You know, maybe maybe Lily's going to start, start to become our kind of... Uh, corrupted heroine and maybe the last few episodes will focus around her potential to really cause a lot of chaos in Storybrooke should she arrive there yeah or is it uh emma verging on darkness just as much as lilith is verging on light yeah or it could be uh like a harry potter and neville longbottom thing where like either one could be the savior there you go but luckily nobody's trying to kill their parents at the moment maleficent maleficent should (laughs) yeah yeah and so we we jump over, you know, Snow White is obviously they're very guilty after what they did, considering that granted she had half heartedly promised Maleficent that they bring the baby back. But they were the ones basically responsible for getting rid of the baby, just as she alluded to earlier. But I feel like I have to take a pause in this scene because, Kurt, we have a dwarf sighting here. <laughs> dwarf alert. Dwarf alert. The dwarf alert is currently ringing in the back room of my of my apartment right now. Sneezy is here to put up a mobile. Probably not the best person to put up a, 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 a delicate glass mobile, but I don't know. Maybe the, maybe the other six plus sneaky were busy for a while. Yeah. Or stealthy. Uh, stealthy. Stealthy. Is stealthy dead at this point, though? I think he is. Yes, because that was yeah, because it was pre pre wedding was when Snow White met stealthy and then stealthy died. The queen killed stealthy. Yeah, I think the only. The only two do I wouldn't want Dopey to do it, and I don't know if I want Sleepy to do it. But it seems like any other any other dwarf would be a better choice. And four other choices, four other yes. more prominent choices. Exactly. So Snow is obviously now haunted by the image of the unicorns because she associates the image with all of this stuff that transpired, and basically her and David kind of have a talk about the the regrets that they have. But David is confident that 
they'll be able to do the right thing eventually and just be the best possible people that they can be and there will be a redemption and oh if only david now could talk to david at the end of the episode because it is it is not the same situation maybe the unicorns are here to remind us of how easy it is to lose our way and they're a good thing and thank you cinderella for sending these yes very <laughs> cinderella uh, sure i'm sure meant no offense oh yeah well you know you never trust that cinderella that's they, true. Had, they, had, they had to tie in the movie somehow <laughs> That's, is that is very, very true. Do we, since the the uh, the author scene was a flashback, do we want to talk about it here or would you rather save it for the end? Let's save it for the end because it was kind of, it, it was a flashback, but it was told as a narrative in the present day. So I think it ties a little bit better into the end of the present day. So. Okay, so we'll save that for the end and let's let's jump through our own red portal and let's let's arrive in storybook here as we leave off right where we ended the episode last time with the big revelation that the author's trapped inside the book page and regina and emma and henry are trying to figure out what to do but oh august passes out again well i liked i liked regina's solution of how do we get him do we have to draw a key and i would have been like well let's see there's a bunch of books that are made of the same paper that are empty. So grab a piece of paper from a book, draw a key. I would have tried that. I mean, they, these aren't, had, this isn't Harold in the purple crayon, Kurt. <laughs> it kind of is, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, ped, it's, it's Peddler and the, uh, I don't know, uh, the purple quill. But uh, it, you know, Regina said you do have to draw a key. I wouldn't have ruled that out as a possibility. Um but yeah, no, August passes out. Did they take him to the sorcerer's house? No, I think they just they took him to the convent where Mother Superior is. Right, I knew she was there, but it looked from the outside. I couldn't tell from the outside. I was like, I was wondering why the blue fairy went to the sorcerer's house. I was like, I was wondering, I was wondering if it was the convent or the or the mansion. Like, Everyone knows about this mansion now. Well, it does look like they've like been given permission to film in other rooms now, which is kind of yeah. nice. There's like a hallway and like a kind of a den slash like library slash study. Uh, so there's they're slowly gaining rights to film in the rest of this, in <laughs> yeah. this nice mansion. For those of you playing at home, you can now add a few more rooms tonight to your uh, your fan drawn map of the Sorcerer's Mansion. Yeah, we're gonna be able to play Clue pretty soon. Oh, that'd be a lot of fun. We should play Clue with Once Upon a Time characters. They're probably, you know what, if there isn't an addition out, it would probably be very simple to do. So they would just have to adjust the story. So instead of someone getting killed, it would be like, who, who took the book? They, yeah. they, you know, and or, or who put someone under a sleeping curse? There you go. And what did they use? Yeah. What did they use to do it? And where did they do it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Hook did it with Rumpelstiltskin's dagger in the ballroom. I, you know, it, it's Regina with the with the apple danish in charming central their apartment so. charming central i like that term for their apartment I, I was calling it like hero hq but we can right. use, you can use either or so you know they august is brought back to mother superior and i guess i i think we had assumed that he he was so tired from all the torture that was going on with him last episode <laughs> but it, i think it just looks like he's really worn out because he's been transformed from human to wood several times in the past couple of years and apparently that has a real fatiguing effect on someone I buy that. It, yeah. it, it, they made it look nice and painful when they did it. Like, it's not something I would necessarily want to happen to me. No, I, I do not envy August. But Regina is more uh, wrapped up in the situation of what am I what am I going to tell the Queens of Darkness when I get back to them since they are demanding a page and I, I don't want to give, you know, give our hand away. So Emma gives a fake page. But of course, Regina's like, no, they're not going to buy that at all. So their solution is to take a picture and say, oh, no, I couldn't get to it, but here's here's a pic of it. And it's, uh, of, of course, of a, a nice grainy resolution on phones <laughs> so that they'll be able to get away with the fact that it, it is a fake page. 
Yeah. And it's like if they're and I actually, again, kudos. To, I liked Regina's thinking here, along with the whole Lestra Keith, like the idea of, well, they don't know that they need the actual page They're Right now, the villains are just looking for what does this door look like? We need to see what this door looks like so we can actually find it. Mm-hmm. That's all they're concerned with at this point. And so I actually like Regina's rationale here. It's like if I go back with a real page, we're screwed. If I go back with a fake page, they'll know we're screwed. Let me just take a picture of it. Um, and I actually thought it was a good idea at the time. Yeah, it's a lot, it's a lot better than saying, okay, let me describe to you what the door looked like. Uh, it was it was very fairly rectangular, uh, red, red wood, probably something very early 19th century here's my rendering of it yeah exactly her own her own artist rendering i had to i couldn't i had just a glance at it i had to run out before oh you wouldn't believe it uh skeletons were coming for me again no offense maleficent so you know what i can just i can sit down to pad and paper real quick just do a quick sketch of it i say could she have taken a like a color copy of it would that still have like had well we'll get to like what ended up happening with the photo but i'm wondering like if if a if a color copy of it would have worked but I'm thinking like the only place I think they would have a color copier would potentially be in the police station. But you've seen the computers that they have there and the operating yeah. systems. They, they probably just have like a fax machine and a mimeograph <laughs> machine. And if they have a copier, it's just black and white. Yeah, well, they, they could do it at the library, too. But, you know, I heard it tastes like it's like 50 cents for a page. And really, right. they, don't, they don't have the dough to shell out at this point. And if it's like something that's potentially copyrighted, they won't let you photocopy it. Yeah, and, exactly. So they run a tight ship there at the library. Yes. So... Emma and Henry come back to the loft. Regina kind of takes off with her her photo to try to pass off, and she finds Hook, Snow, and Charming, and Hook has informed the Charmings of what he learned from Ursula last episode, which was basically that the Queens of Darkness were planning to use Emma, to, to destroy the author, and then kind of use Emma's potential for evil to change their stories. And this is where, you know, Snow and Charming continue to keep weaving that that very intricate web of lies uh though mary margaret is understandably not the not the the most subtle person as you know she kind of becomes overwhelmed with emotion and just storms out of the room the whole time that she was like talking to david about how we're worried for emma we have to do something i thought that like emma and hook had like left the room but no they're like two feet away yeah (laughs) she's not speaking quietly Uh, they, they do realize that we're right here, right, Swan? Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like, it's called a stage whisper. <laughs> Soto voce. Yeah, exactly. So as Emma runs out and Charming follows, Regina is trying to pass off the photo to the Queens of Darkness. But uh, Gold is, I mean, Gold's batting a thousand tonight because every single thing that Regina tries to throw into Gold's way, he says, nope, that's not right. <laughs> Yeah, she she shows the picture on the phone. It's like, like first of all, like they're they're ticked off that she came back empty-handed, and then it's like, well, I wouldn't say I came back empty-handed. Ha! I got a picture, and I look at the picture. Like even from a distance, you, before like there was like a fixed uh, a fixed camera on the on the photo. I'm like, that I would have like tried to take a couple pictures to lose that glare. <laughs> <laughs> but the glare, I guess. So I guess maybe like. Sometimes when you maybe the uh, the magic glare is sort of like the red eye effect. Like yeah. if you have a certain amount of magic in the picture, there will be a glare on it. Yeah, I was thinking like anybody who's watched like, you know, Ghost Hunters is like, oh, it's like orbs. It's an indication that there's a supernatural entity present, except it's magic. Uh, you know, Regina could use that excuse too, like, oh, no, it's not magic. It's a ghost. It's a ghost. It's a. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, I think she should have tried to play up the glare part. No, 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 it's a glare. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, sorry, the the sun got in the way, but no, gold is gold is not having it, and he also makes the very quick assumption that the author must be trapped in the book by magic. So now their new plan is to go after Emma. Yeah, I think that's well. He's making some great leaps in logic that are landing nicely, because yeah. um, I think it would be fair to say that this page uh, was from a book that in all likelihood was magical. And therefore it would make sense that it was actually glaring magic. I, th- I think that, that Regina had, she noticed this or she, I think she, she's been good at improv before. I think that she could have uh, come up with a, uh, with an excuse, but she was taken a little aback and, and then like you said, gold put one, two and three together pretty quickly. And yeah, so they have to go. Maleficent plans to distract distract Emma in some way. So now, for an episode, for again, as as Emma kind of becomes the the central character once again in this story arc, we actually see a surprisingly little of Emma this episode, or surprisingly little focus around Emma. This is because scene coming up is one of the only few of this episode that is really focused around Emma. It's the one with Emma and Hook where. Hook, we get see we get to see a little bit of Hook's jealousy here. We've mm-hmm. seen it in the past where he punched his past self in the face for kissing Emma, but this is when Hook really tries to delve into Emma's history with, with whom he calls the Wooden Man Child. Yes, and you could tell that Hook's a little jealous. And I mean, I'm happy. I'm happy just because it it it's Hook and Emma, which again we haven't really seen a lot of at all this season. So any Hook and Emma scenes we have, I'm happy to see. Yeah, we we learned that that Hook's a little. He actually kind of says that he's wondering if that she has like a leather jacket fetish uh, because because that's kind of what Augs is wearing. That's what he was wearing. But I like Emma's real rationale. She I have any of my notes. Oh, wow. Another mention of Lily. This is interesting because she uses the whole uh, she doesn't go into in-depth detail about Lily to hook, but says, you know. I think it sounded like he was she was reminding him of this person that she's probably told him about before. But like since that time, I've just had a really tough time making friends. And August was the exception. And that's really all it is. And he seemed to calm down a bit. Yeah, he, he, it seemed to, you know, it's, it's when the, the girlfriend tells the boyfriend, no, he's just a friend. He's helping. He's helping me out. He's just a friend. Don't worry about him. I still love you, Bay. <laughs> I love you, babe. So before they can really finish their conversation, though, they get knocked out. It, it looks like now. Correct me if I'm wrong, Kurt. Did Maleficent unleash a small sleeping curse on Storybrooke? Yes, the okay. entire town. Because I, I was, I was at the beginning when it happened. I was like, did she just target Hook and Emma? But we later find out she does mention that it was done to the entire town, and we learn it was done to the entire town. Yeah, except for the people who have been affected by the sleeping curse. So it's sort of the chicken pox rules here with the sleeping curse. Yes, and we, we actually have a, a, a question on Twitter. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ding Mary, this is from, from, from Tara Bast at, at City Slicker. Uh, she asks, Ding Mary Kill, sleeping curse rules, hat rules, realm travel options. Okay, so... I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'm going to ding realm travel options just because there are so many options and, you know, I, I'm in for some exotic things. Yep. So I'll go with that. Okay. So which would I, you know what? I'm going to kill the sleeping curse rules because the sleeping curse rules leads to that horrific room that they all go in purgatory where everything's on fire. So I'll, I'll marry the hat rules as a default. Yeah. I, I'm kind of, I, I'm near the same. Well, did it Emma go into the room on fire? Did she? I may, I'm trying to think. Maybe. Maybe she got placed under this. No. 
oh, I have to think about season two. Aurora did. Aurora did. But she came. But she came from the storybooks, or from the uh, from the Enchanted Forest side of things. Uh, Henry was on the. Henry was already Henry. Yeah, Henry was already under from end of season one, but then he went under again. And then when it turned out that it was too dangerous for Henry, when he came back with those burn wounds, that's when David decided to go under. Yeah. And we didn't. Okay. 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 That's right. That's right. So, okay. For that very reason, because you have to remember and you can't all, it, it, it's so hard to remember who has and hasn't had a sleeping curse cast on them. I'm going to kill the sleeping curse rules. Mm-hmm. Um, the hat rules to me are really easy. Whatever, who, however many go in, that same number has to come out. So for me, it's easy. Ding. The realm travel options is the gift that keeps on giving. We keep finding out new ways. So I'm going to marry the uh, realm travel options. Okay. So both, either way, these these newfound sleeping curse rules are dead. I believe so. They're good. They're burning right now in their own room. Which is fine because they're just not going to be able to be used in Storybook ever again because everybody has now been put under a sleeping yep, curse. Yep, ex- exactly. Unless someone new, unless Lily comes in and now she gets put under a sleeping curse, which she might considering her mother. Uh, every, everyone else is good to go next time a sleeping curse hits. I wonder if Maleficent's been under a sleeping curse. I'm assuming, you know, you got you to try it. If you're creating this potion, you got to try it a little on yourself, right? Uh, yeah, that, I think that's a good scientific approach. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of Maleficent, we actually get a little bit of action outside of the main plot with her and Gold here, which relates more to the flashback, where Maleficent basically tells Gold, listen, I know I'm the most vital part of the plan since I have the magic, and Corella and Ursula are basically just there as window dressing. So let me broker a side deal with you. I help you get the author. You help. You tell me what happened to my daughter. So it's interesting. We haven't seen a lot of Maleficent action uh, the past couple of episodes. I feel like the last big episode for her was that was that flashback episode with Regina. Were you happy to see a little bit more Maleficent story time this episode, Kurt? I was both in the present day and in the flashback. I think even even more so in the flashback. Given I thought that again, like I said earlier, that was I think a really touching moment, and uh, it was nice to see Kristen. I'm going to leave it at leave her last name off uh, with with her hair down a little bit. Yeah, literally and emotionally as yeah. well. So after David tries to help Mary Margaret kind of cope with the idea of lying, and they find out that everyone's asleep, they come back to or they don't go back to the loft uh they i think they slowly realize what's going to happen but the queens of darkness are already in the loft corella has kind of a murderous streak this episode in terms of everyone that she knocks out she wants to kill but regina is trying to kind of still play diplomat and refuses to do so and then gold once they figure out that the page isn't with them gold is, is once again quick to the buzzer and says well if they don't have it and everyone who has survived the sleeping curse is awake that must mean that henry has the book yeah, I think when we were when we saw that Mary Margaret and David were uh, were in town and awake, and I was like, and they kind of was vocalized. Well, it's not going to impact them because they were asleep. That's the thing. When I, I paused the, the the DVR for a moment, I was like, well, who else? Henry Henry should Henry. Where's Henry? Henry should be up and around. And I'm glad that the the writers also realized that because we do see Henry booking it across the field towards the mansion with uh, with a book and book in his hand. It's it's weird though because ha- I think had Aurora been a bigger character aside from the mommy and me class from a, from yeah. like ten episodes ago, I thought she would have played a big role here too. Yeah, because I also, I also had that in my notes is like Aurora probably at some point is like, why is everyone just like the baby's asleep? That's great, but like uh, Philip, did you lose your soul again? Uh, well, I bet what happened is because the baby's asleep, she's so happy that she passes out herself, finally getting some much needed rest. <laughs> yeah, so the baby finally went down, so she was able to take a nap too. So 
the new plan is now to go after Henry, but Gold kind of shoes the woman off to do that as apparently he has his own other business to take care of and we'll we'll deal with that later. But Snow and David are spying on them from around the corner and they get they personally get a call from Henry uh, and tell him kind of what went wrong and Henry, you know, we ha- we haven't seen Henry do too much this half season, but I got to admit he had some smart thinking here where he knew something was immediately wrong, so he decided to take off for the mansion, a place that he knew was Kind of a safe haven, though. It won't be eventually. And so they said, you know, let's stay put. But David has his own kind of slightly malevolent idea saying, you know what? If this author comes out, he's going to he's going to change. He's going to change a bunch of things. And that's not going to bode well for us. So let's just get rid of the author ourselves. Yeah, it sounded it sound like he was afraid. I think the, the main thing he was afraid of was that it sounded like the author was the person who could potentially make Emma go to the dark side. And... It's a we can't we can't have him out, and Mary, like Mary Margaret's like again the voice of reason here saying, you know, but that's basically killing the author if we burn the book. That's not giving Regina the happy ending that she uh, is expecting. And they well maybe she can find it some other way. It was like eh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about that. Especially again, you gotta you gotta watch your actions after the last big thing you did. You ended up getting rid of someone's child. Ex- exactly, and. And it was one other small thing that I was thinking of, like if you were in some, if you knew that you were in some sort of uh, action adventure, you know, modern day fantasy sort of story, would you always have your phone on vibrate or ring? I would. It's a good. I I, I would say vibrate. I my phone's usually on silent anyway, but I would always yeah. assume that I would be in some sort of situation where I don't want anyone seeing me. Yeah, you know, where I'm either spying on someone from a corner, I'm like hiding under a table or I'm under some sort of invisibility spell. But I would never want my phone set to ring. I thought for sure when when their phone rang that the villains of darkness were going to like perk up and seek them out or something. But luckily it, it didn't. It was just I think to give us the listeners at home a cue that this this call was coming in. So I think I'm the same way. I think I mean, I've definitely seen some instances where. Uh, in, in films and TV shows where the person doesn't know that their phone all the way across the room is ringing because it's on vibrate or on silent so they can't hear it and they miss a, an important phone call that would have saved them or helped them save somebody. But I think more often you see it go the other way where the ringing phone gives away something uh, about, like you said, your location and it doesn't happen to have good results because of it. That was, I was just curious. Uh, well, part of me feels like there's also a lot of missed phone calls in this show anyway, even if a ring is on. So these people are so bad with phone etiquette that it doesn't matter either way. That's true. We, 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 it's, we, o- we only see the phone calls that get received. Exactly. <laughs> For the most part. Henry at the mansion uh, does his own little Indiana Jones work as the light is shining out from behind the door and he finds that, I guess the light from the keyhole shines upon this set of drawers and inside it he finds the key. But just in that moment, the Queen of Darkness arrive and Regina kind of begs, the d- demands the page from Henry, but kind of a winking gesture as well. I thought, well, first I thought when it was just Regina that came in, because she she proceeded before Cruella and Maleficent came in. I thought for some reason, oh, this is Gold or somebody or Maleficent in disguise. Uh, but I remember then, yeah, Gold wasn't going there. And I guess Maleficent and Cruella were with Regina. And then again, sure enough, they come in shortly after. See, I didn't pick up on the winky face. Um, what I thought we were going to learn was that when she called him Henry Daniel Mills, I was a like, signal. <laughs> well, I thought that maybe that wasn't his middle name. Like that, uh-huh. and like that would be the clue. Like she called me by my full name, but she used the wrong middle name, so I knew something. She was giving me a clue, but uh, apparently, nope. I guess that's his name, and uh, and he just kind of sensed 
that's what was going on. So. I think Daniel's an okay middle name. I feel like it would it would be have been some something more like old English, considering that she was the one that kind of created him. So I I or not created him. I mean Emma created him, but it's a it's a pretty good middle name, all things considered. Yeah, it's a good. I just thought that maybe like it was actually Henry, you know, you know Henry Michael Mills, and she called him Henry Daniel Mills and because <laughs> she used the wrong name. He knew that something was up. And, oh man, but, a, a lot of chaos could be car- called caused if she just happened to not remember the right middle name. Yeah, that, that's true. That's true. Though there's another Henry. <laughs> <laughs> so the Charmings arrive. And they're distraught that Henry had to give the page away. But Henry has his own duplicitous nature as he gave them the fake. And he describes the situation about how he has the real one and we have the key to unlock it. And David is uncharacteristically a little brutish here where he kind says he yells, yeah, he yells at him. Yeah, David douche. It, it's yeah, we have we have some we have some douche charming here yeah. as he says, like, OK, we'll we'll take care of it. Henry's like, uh, why don't I just do it now? He's like, no, Henry, give me it now. Go to your room. <laughs> exactly or or some other room in this mansion that we have rights to film in he didn't even have to invoke his middle name yeah i, don't, I wonder if he knows uh, that's true yeah uh, hopefully. hopefully i mean this is this, this, his grandson yeah so they they end up getting the, the book and the key for themselves and i feel like every one of these snow and charming scenes ends with either snow or david being like well, should we be doing this? I don't know if we should be lying like this. So they're really hammering this point home that they do not feel good about all the lying they're doing. But I do have to say, based on our criticism of the first half of the season, and probably to some extent out of the back half of the last season, they're being given stuff to do that matters. Very true. So they're, they're so so kudos to the to the authors of the series um, that they for forgiving Mary Margaret and, and David some actual actual work and important business to take care of. Yeah. And I, I agree. And like, again, I've, I feel like I've talked about countless amount of times on this podcast, the heroes and villains stuff. The thing that was going to interest me most were these kinds of shades of gray moments where it was, can you do these evil actions if you know something good will result in the end? So I do like this idea of them, again, weaving this this tangled web of lies in order to try to protect Emma. Although, of course, we see now how that spirals completely out of control to the point of where everything they were trying to work for is completely thrown out the window. Yeah, it's just, it's, is this the, to some extent, part of the cost of doing magic back in the past? Because, you know, we, we kind of glossed over it, but in the flashback, you know, when they when they're agreeing to help to work with the Sorcerer's Apprentice to cast the darkness out of their unborn baby, he reminds them and all of us, you know, magic comes with a price. It always does, though. Gold also in this next scene kind of calls it a debt instead, which is isn't aren't those opposite Ter- oh, maybe they're not opposite terms in terms of buying and selling, but it's it, I feel like price and debt are like two different concepts. Well, it's like it comes with the price and you basically rack up debt. And if you if you pay the price of your debt, then it goes away. Yeah, I just I just feel like when you say price, it automatically infers that you 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 will pay the debt immediately. Whereas with gold, it seems like his magic uh, does come with a price, but he still has yet to really repay on it, aside from losing Bell at one point. He, he he keeps going back to the well before it's filled up again, and yeah, he 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 he's kind of chasing the dragon, as it were, and uh, <laughs> so to speak. And yeah, he he keeps he keeps going into debt more and more and more before 
you know, fate or whatever it is has a chance to come and collect. So, you know, just just keep going down that spiral. Yeah, he, he's visiting <laughs> the magical loan sharks, basically. Fate, pretty much. So speaking of gold, he his his things that he had to do, quote unquote, is to basically talk to an unconscious bell. He puts her to bed and basically tells her all the stuff that she knew she, she, she he knows that she would kick him out of the pawn shop if he told her, which is basically, you know, I, I I have so much magical debt that I can't clear it unless I find a way to change it. So I'm going to change the rules. But I have to do something quickly. Bye. Yeah, which is still a little bit mysterious. This, this was the first time that it was kind of alluded to that Gold is looking for something more than just simply power. It seems like he, this is, for me, this was the first glimpse this back half of the season that Gold is trying to do something to set things right. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe. I mean, the what I had in my notes was that I had to go back and watch this a second time is I've racked up so much debt I can never be cleared of it unless I find a way to change the world. And it's like, here's the truth. Something else is changing. If I'm going to change the rules, I need to do so quickly. And so it was kind of enigmatic. Um, so I'm, I'm not quite sure what's going on with, with gold and what he's trying to actually do, what, what else is changing. Um, and he needs to do something needs to do things quickly, but, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see where that ends up going. But it was, for me, it felt a little bit like he was, we were trying to be shown that gold is up to something that we don't necessarily know about. And it might not be entirely bad, but that could just be my interpretation. Yeah. I, I wonder if this is going to turn into something where gold wants the author resurrected, but he wants to do something different with the author than what he initially enlisted the Queens of Darkness for, which was to have the author kind of wipe the story clean in order for them to have their happy ending. Maybe his idea is to take the author for himself and use him for a different purpose. Maybe he's going to use the author to make it like Neverland never existed. <laughs> I, I think you're thinking of the show's writers, Kurt. <laughs> so I go into IMDb and it just says that there was like a, an 11 episode run in season three. It's kind of strange. <laughs> <laughs> this is the big, the big, uh, the big controversy of once upon a time. Yeah those mysterious 11 episodes. So gold meets the queen of darkness outside and they hand him the page. And of course, for the third time, this episode, Regina's uh, Regina's uh, plan is completely shot to sunshine when gold says, Oh no, this is fake. Yeah. It's like, come on, try harder. But you had they, one, you had one job. And, but then they finally, which I, I feel like they, they were trying to do the entire episode. They finally knocked out Regina after this whole episode where they're like, we don't trust you. They're finally like, okay, you know, this is the final straw. Let's just knock her out and put her in the vault. Yeah, you kind of get the sense that this entire time they never really trusted Regina and they were just kind of forcing themselves to go through the motions of we have to catch her in some sort of concrete lie or we can't actually just, you know, knock her out when really they could have just knocked her out. I mean, yeah. they, they didn't have to pretend to trust her. <laughs> yeah, especially considering every single scene for the past few weeks has been like Regina saying something cut to a shot of Maleficent or Corella looking incredulous about it. Exactly. <laughs> like, I can't tell. I can't tell you how many times I've used the word like incredulous or disbelieving when I'm typing up my notes here, because it's literally the same reaction every single time there's a scene with them. Yeah. Yeah. It's finally it's like the, the straw that broke the gold's back. As the, it, the unicorn's back. Yeah. I think I think more straw and gold. Uh, <laughs> uh, but either, either way, the it's finally, you know what? We're done with you. Yeah, exactly. Sleep. <laughs> but we have some we have some page burning to get to some book burning. And no, the book is not one of those. It's not a Fahrenheit 451. It is the author's book. So David's, you know, he's he's again willing to, to weave this web of lies more talking about how well we're now we're just going to lie to Henry about how the key didn't work. And that's why the page kind of disintegrated. But Snow has finally had it and she brings up you know this interesting idea that 
we initially thought that the dark spot showed up on Snow's heart when she killed Korra back in the middle of season two, but she believes that the darkness was in her heart kind of to begin with, which is an interesting theory, again, connecting to this whole idea of like, we're the good guys we're supposed to win. Yeah, it's it, it kind of goes into that shades of gray thing that you had mentioned earlier. And it's like true the first time that any of us knew, including Mary Margaret, that there was a a spot of darkness on her heart was, you know, was after the the, the core incident. But I, I kind of like, you know what? It could have been there from an earlier time. Yeah. And, and this was like the, one of the, the first moments that we get to see it. So, yeah, I, I buy it. Yeah, I definitely buy it. And it maybe it connects back to this whole prophecy idea that Emma will be born with this potential for extreme darkness. And maybe that stems from the fact that half of her lineage is her mother, who has also has this potential for darkness. So maybe it's genetic. <laughs> it might be genetic. It might, I'm not sure if it's dominant or recessive in terms of heredity, but <laughs> yeah, uh, we, need, we need to make a Punnett square for evil. Yeah, there we go. It's uh, it's, I don't know. It, it, it seems to be like that. Everybody has the potential. It's just that that supposedly charming and, and snow were kind of two extreme examples of people who were pure of heart. But it turns out even in that case, they weren't necessarily, but uh, or if you get the darkness after you've already conceived, does it in, infect the baby in utero? I mean, I don't know how that works. Out. So it's, like, it's like smoking. Exactly. Don't do evil deeds because it's just like smoking. Yeah. Or don't smoke because it's evil. I, either or. That's one to grow up. Let's not put the cart before <laughs> the horse here. So as we go back to the loft, you know, David finally relents that that they should stop lying. And they they once again, yada, yada about everything that that has happened and emma is pretty stunned and pretty understandably angry to the point of where she takes a page out of her mother's book and she storms out okay was she understandably angry i mean and and maybe this is me and my like my attention deficit but it's what were they really what was exact what exactly was lied about that Emma got so angry about? I'm wondering because I'm thinking back to that to that episode two of this story arc where they really started lying. And was it just was it the idea that she well no, because didn't Hook Hook shared with Emma that she has the that they talked about the potential for evil, right? So she already knows about that. It was it just that they lied to her and she was mad about that because they're her parents and maybe they made a promise in some episode that they never lied to her again? But that's like, what did they, like, so they lied about not knowing Cruella and Ursula and they lied about going hiking. I mean, all, all I'm saying is the, the only issue I had with this episode was that Emma's reaction did not seem commensurate to the crime. Like the like the lying wasn't maybe just the fact that I can't remember so much that they lied about something so major that Emma should have stormed off like this or reacted in such a way. Um I don't know. I, this is like one the, the 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 main issue I had with what I thought was a great episode was I I thought the whole importance behind the lying was overplayed a bit, but you kind of have to. Yeah, and for, for, I mean, for drama sake, I I would say that I I think she had a right to be a little miffed. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if it needed you know the shot of Jennifer Morrison with like tears in her mm-hmm. eyes. I don't know. I, I I would agree with you that I don't know if this reaction this elicits an extremely emotional reaction more of just something out of anger but we'll see we'll, we'll see this at the end of the episode too she is like sworn off her parents almost by the end of this episode it's completely yeah. non-entities exactly i would have rather seen a shouting match 
I think a shouting match would have been more realistic. But then again, if I if I wanted realism, I wouldn't be watching a show with unicorns and blue fairies. So yeah, well, last time they had a shouting match, it was when they were on the deck of a of a boat in season three. The the storyline that doesn't exist anymore. Oh yes, the <laughs> we'll allow the ones before they actually got onto Neverland. I think when we when we rewrite like history, like the twenty minutes before they got to Neverland. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of time on the boat where we where we see a mermaid for the first time. So we cut to the vault here, which we haven't seen in a few episodes. And the Queens of Darkness are looking over a knocked out Regina. And Gold says something. Again, we talk about you talk about how enigmatic the, he was this episode. He says once Regina wakes up, he has something that the moment she sees it, she'll do his bidding forever. Could we could we think at all what this might be? Do we think we know what it is at the moment? Um, something related to her past in, uh, I'm going to call it Glowerhaven just because we haven't used that word in a while. <laughs> um, was that right? Glowerhaven? Glowerhaven was where, yeah, it was where Ursula was trying to sail to last episode. Right. And we conjectured that Glowerhaven was another name for Misthaven, was another name for the Enchanted Forest. Yes. Like, I think, at least I think, anyway, I, I think it's something from her past, either that's related to her mother or maybe it's like uh, the not zombie uh, body of her uh, lover. Daniel. Uh, sta- da- is it Daniel? Boys. I think it's Daniel. The stable boy? Yeah. I can't remember. Uh, but the, yeah, the, the Frankensteinian. Uh, yeah. We'll see. We'll see if the, well, we found him, but he's actually alive. Or, or maybe it's something with, with Robin Hood or it's something, something with like her and affection. So something tells me that it's going to be Robin Hood. I think I think we'll get some sort of answer soon about what Robin Hood has been doing, since I know they've said that Sean McGuire was going to appear in some capacity in this half season. So I have a feeling that in beyond the dream sequence. Yeah. Oh, boy. That I think in those six weeks where gold was in New or was, you know, outside in the real world, I think he, he gained some sort of intel on what Robin Hood was doing. And I think he's going to use that information to get what he wants out of Regina. Yeah, it's 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 going to be something that her heart yearns for. So it means it's Henry, the stable boy, a parent or uh, or Robin Hood. And uh, the four of those, they're probably not going to mess with Henry again. So my guess is Robin Hood. Yeah. Parent probably at the bottom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so as Hook goes to kind of comfort Emma at the dock, I'd forgotten to say that Emma had also, I believe, taken the book with her. So that's kind of adds insult to injury there in terms of her storming out. Uh, Hook goes over to not only comfort her, but give her the good news that August has made a pretty good recovery and they go to visit him. But first we have some more Maleficent action here. Yes. Is she uh, pretty much goes to try to get uh, gold to pay up, uh, even though technically she didn't, live up to her end of the bargain they still don't have the page but he agrees based on all that she's gone through to show her what happened to her baby 30 years ago yep and i mean gold uh finally relents so i think he does give maleficent a fair warning that listen if pain is your driving force here you're gonna there's a chance you'll experience a lot more in order to get what you want again comes with a price but she's willing to do it which actually kind of mimics the snow and charming stuff a little bit in the flashback interestingly enough but with a wave of his hand they're able to see through the rattle which granted it's a pretty small crystal ball i don't know if you're able to make out a lot of faces through that (laughs) but we see lily being given away to a foster family and it looks like lily is now going to become kind of a a major player here considering that she's maleficent's child 
Yeah. Although like when we, I guess you'd be the anti-savior if things are like kind of going from a, a black and white perspective here, assuming that Emma is the savior, but she didn't see like, yeah, she, she kind of had a slight, uh, I wouldn't even say that she had a bad girl streak in the flashback that we did see. Um, but she, you know, they, the, the house that they broke into, that was actually her own home, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, it was like a summer home or something. So it's, we didn't. She wasn't as much of a hellion in the flashback scene as I you would necessarily expect if her heart was one that was filled with darkness. But uh, she's had some time to grow into it, just like just like Emma has. Yeah, shop shoplifting isn't darkness. It's just something fun the kids do. Yeah, Emma did it too. Yeah, exactly. So they're both evil. That's what we. That's the conclusion we came to is that they're both evil. Or that shoplifting is good. <laughs> either either way, I think the world wins here. Yeah. <laughs> so. There, so you know, after this little revelation, we get some more revelations as they go back to see August. And first of all, things are very awkward in the room because Snow and Charming have to be there, and Emma basically completely ignores them to sit down on the bed with August. And Emma's completely ready to unlock the page and let the author out. Snow warns her a little bit beforehand, but it's clear that Emma, I think Emma wants to do it doubly now that her parents disapprove of her doing it. But first, we find out some more information about the author from our Encyclopedia Britannica himself, August. Okay, the moment he says, something you need to know, there's more than one author. I literally hit pause on the show, and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, seriously. But like, yeah, but I, said, uh, he- I heard Matt Smith was the 11th author, right? And Peter <laughs> Capaldi's the 12th author. Well done. Uh, it's, and, but then he explained it in a way that made it more palatable. It's like, the author is a job, not a person. But like and there are many authors, but it's, it almost seems like there's authors and then there's the author with a capital A. It's like, OK, OK, OK. So it's a little bit like the dark one. And there, yeah. there are many dark ones, uh, but there's really only one right now that you really have to pay attention to. So now I wonder uh, what the application process is for that, too. You know, does because the dark one was you just you had to have someone kill you right with the dagger to and they would become the new dark one is the author just like the sorcerer if if the author disobeys the sorcerer the sorcerer can just kind of kill them or make them disappear and then they they bring in it they find a new person to become the author yeah i'm not really sure if it's if it's a matter of secession uh or you know how that works it, it seems more like it's a a freelance gig that's only good for a brief amount of time because it's like throughout history there have been authors and it almost seems like you know, potentially the sorcerer and his apprentice, it says, you know, their, their responsibility is to choose the author. Um, and they go over like just poets throughout time. They even reference you, Walt Disney yep. was, was an author. And, but all of these authors, their story had always been to record the greatest stories of all times. But this last author, this most recent author, he started to manipulate the story rather than to record the story. So what we're saying here is a, do we believe that Walt Disney is actually cryogenically frozen or do you think he's just trapped in a book? And B, is the is this most recent author basically doing the equivalent of Fox News? Uh, I'll answer the second question first. Yes. <laughs> the first question second. Um, that's why I say it's more like a freelance gig. It's like, you know what? You were the author. You were granted like the, the, the magic of being an author and recording stories and getting stories out there. And then we're going to kind of just, you know what? It's like you have term limits. Like, okay, your time is done, Walt Disney. We're going to now move it over to R.L. Stein, and he's going to write some Goosebumps books or something. Yeah, um, so it's a, it's a temp job. 
Exactly. It's, it's, it's freelance for a brief period of time. It's a temp job. But this most recent author, uh, they granted him the power of the quill. And this, this is, I think, the one thing I'm not, I'm not completely sure of. So this last author, this most recent one, he's been manipulating the story rather than recording it, which is why I say that the sorcerer pre-existed this, this author. And the, he didn't create the sorcerer or the sorcerer's apprentice or however we want to think of him. But he's able to manipulate the actions based on what he ends up writing. Kind of like you said with Stranger like in Fiction. I think I even referenced John Candy's movie Delirious like mm-hmm. in the last couple weeks. It's the same kind of idea that you get to manipulate what does happen. Um, but it seems like the power is held in this quill. So yeah. does the quill allow you to manipulate? And then if so, were the other authors, we'll say Walt Disney, were they given a quill or did this new author unlock a new power in the quill? That's the only thing I'm not sure of, but I don't really need to know. It's just that uh, I'm not sure if the power here lies within the author or the quill itself, which is the magical implement that this off this last author that they chose was special or that the quill was somehow different or something. Yeah, because uh, when the sorcerer comes back, he basically tells the author, why did you make me do that? And what we can infer here is that the author basically instructed the sorcerer, whether it was through the, the writing or not, to to institute this spell of sending Maleficent's dragon egg away. So I guess it's yeah. going to open up the question of, does the author have this grand plan for sending the egg through to the real world and also hmm. offhandedly sending Cruella and Ursula through there as well? You know, it's just part of one <laughs> big master plan. <laughs> I think the author's writing the story. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Ursula and Cruella come out of nowhere and fall into the hole too, the end. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, uh, that's, that's kind of how it felt. That it was. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Our our author slash peddler. Uh, it it did feel like he shoehorned that in to manipulate the story in some way. Like he was trying to do something. He had no way to wrap it up. Uh, and, just, and they come out of nowhere and fall in the hole. Yeah, I think yeah. he realized. I think he realized his own plot <laughs> hole of like, oh, and this is how they wind up in the real world. And I, I believe he writes in episode format, much like Once Upon a Time. <laughs> Yeah, but no, but you raise a good point that I hadn't considered before. It was like, what is driving the author to do what he, well, what was driving the author to do what he had done uh, prior to him getting locked in the book by the Sorcerer's Apprentice? Um, did he have a greater reason for getting Lilith to the other world? Um, maybe he knew that he was going to get locked in the book and the only way that he could get unlocked was by these things this combination of people, Lilith and Cruella and Ursula or something. I don't know. Um, that, 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 but that's an interesting question. I'm, I'm looking forward to see how that ends up actually panning out. Yeah, but we, we see a hefty amount of magic this episode as the author actually pulls out a physical wand and waves it around. It's like, it's like a little like nubby version of a Harry Potter wand. This the sorcerer. Yeah. yeah. The, the apprentice. Yes, one of the two. <laughs> uh, and he... You know, he says, you know, you shirk your duties, you abuse the rules. And we see the actual scene of him getting put in the book, which is then counteracted with Emma releasing him from the book. And we see he appears and there's the big revelation that the peddler is the author that we mentioned before. And you think that the author has some sort of magical powers that allows him to kind of just, you know, disapparate into the night. But no, he's able to distract them with a curtain rod and then runs off. Yeah, it's curtains for our heroes. Oh, how long were you holding on to that one? <laughs> oh, a long, long time. A like, long time. <laughs> Thank you all for, hold, for holding on to this podcast while we're waiting for Kurt to make that requisite curtains reference. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, yeah, side note, my, my friend... Uh, my friend Rod and I have been talking about going on the Amazing Race for years just so we could be Team Kurt and Rod. So, oh uh, my God, yeah. I'm but so I'm, surprised CBS hasn't accepted your application. I'm I'm full of I've I've had Curtain jokes ever since I was born. Um, 
But yeah, no, here's the thing is when we were, I didn't know if we were going to be shown the peddler, sorry, the author, this episode or not. Um, Like when they show the sorcerer banishing him to the book and we see the back of the author's head, I actually had in my notes, I don't think it was the peddler. He doesn't look like the peddler, like the peddler, at least I think we saw him in the flashback, didn't have that much gray hair. I was trying to figure out who this is because it doesn't look like the peddler. Um, And, but then, yep, sure enough, because my first thought is that it would be the peddler. And then they show him and it, I didn't think it was. And then they, yeah, they release him and they've got questions for him and it's the peddler. And they didn't recognize, not, well, I don't know. Well, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, he was seemed like to snow and charming. I think he was just a random face in the crowd and i guess they've been through so much that you probably it's like if you happen to strike up a conversation with someone at a train stop and then like three like two and a half years later they're like oh remember me the guy you met at the train stop he didn't seem to recognize them either though yeah that's true that which which is which is strange well a if he's the author that's strange uh at least in terms of story manipulation he should have he probably knew who he was manipulating i don't know um and, and B, and, if, especially since they're the at that point they were the queen and king of the land, you'd think he'd know their faces. Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 interesting. Uh, he he doesn't. That's like we don't know what powers he has. It's like apart from the book and the quill, he may be powerless uh, if he doesn't have those in hand. But they say that you know we've got a lot of questions for you for you, and then he you know does some interior decorating, yanks the curtains down, and then takes off. Uh, and Emma goes to chase him and loses him. Yeah. And, you know, maybe this author has a weird, like, short-term memory loss, too. Where, like, without the quill, he he really doesn't know anything. But that brandy, that brandy was the key thing that helped remind us all. It tastes a little nutty, that brandy. Yes, which reminds me of a bad Austin Powers joke. Oh, no. Uh, uh, so the author, the author has disappeared into the night. Now he's kind of let loose upon the town. So he's kind of, he's like a stage below gold in terms of being a fugitive now, because he can kind of, he doesn't know the town as well, but he's also in hiding. Yeah. And it, it would seem that I'm trying to think of who he would align with. It's kind of like a little survivor talk here. Like who would he align with? Cause he seems to not want to, it seems like Emma and the, you know, the, the charming softball team would want to align with him, but he doesn't seem to want to, uh, the, he, whereas, I don't think that based on if he was the cause of the loss of Maleficent's child, then she may not know it. Um, I guess, I guess she doesn't know the involvement of the author. It's saying that she probably wouldn't want to align with him either. If she found out, uh, depending on how the whole Lilith thing pans out. Um, yeah. The, the thing that the heroes now have above the villains is that they now know what the author looks like. The villains have no idea who the author is. The villains could be striking up a conversation with him at town and have no idea that they were talking to the author. So the heroes are going to hold that above them, but it's sort of like they're all going to be chasing after him. You know, this, this was the hunt for the book this episode, but now it's going to be the hunt for the author coming well, everybody, up. Was well, everybody in the town still asleep? I mean, no. still, yeah. Emma, uh, Emma, Emma, Emma and Hook are awake, so I assume that everyone uh, else woke up. Okay. But except, except for Regina, because she was knocked out separately. Yeah. yeah. Um... Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. And you think that if if the author was manipulating the actions of the dark one, you think that he would know who the dark one was and how much you can't trust the dark one. Yeah, uh, I guess we, we have to, again, bring into the legitimate question here of how well does the author know his characters in a way, you know? Yeah. And how much of like, you know, if the if the author isn't manipulating 
the actions, like how much of how much of Rumpelstiltskin's actions were his own, and how much were the manipulation of the author? Yeah, it's yeah, it's how, a very good question. It's getting. This is the most meta. I think it, Once Upon a Time is about to take a very dangerous step into meta territory, and and we were thought which which is going to have its whole. It's going to introduce a whole bunch of new rules. Yes, so, we're so going to we're going to have author rules now. We're going to have author rules and we're going to be looking back on everything that's happened and potentially be asking, well, was that done because that was the true nature of the characters or was that done because they are being manipulated by the author? And can the characters have their own uh, inherent desires and actions outside of the manipulation of the author? So, yeah, I I know that's probably too convoluted again for a network primetime show but i would love you know if, if the author stuck around for season five i would love for that to be a storyline because i'm i love those ideas i'm big into time travel so i love these ideas of like string theory and like predestination and i thought that'd be that would be such a cool theme to explore of like are my actions my own and do i have does free will exist basically yeah it's it, it kind of because i was thinking about when when the sorcerer was like well your child is either going to go down a path of darkness or a path of lights and i was like well, yeah, that's, you know, the, so the unicorn didn't really show them the fate of the child. The unicorn showed them all the possible fates of every possible child, kind of. <laughs> yeah, essentially. <laughs> the unicorn is basically just like rolling a dice and saying, well, it could be six or it could be three. Yes. Uh, so it, it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how much, quote unquote, author power uh, ends up being a something that is explored in the upcoming weeks. So... Next week is a really interesting episode, Kirk, because next week I believe they're bringing in Moses and the Tales of the Bible. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, we talked about is the greatest story ever told with the new author. <laughs> uh, so I, I am joking, of course. Next week is a is an is Easter Sunday and it's a showing of the Ten Commandments. So Once Upon a Time will not be on next week, but it will be on the week after. And did it, it's not it's not two nights, right? It's just it's just one night. Uh, I just I didn't. I don't know it to be, I have not heard it to be anything other than one night, but I also, uh, that's my default setting. I have not heard any special cases. It could be, but I, I, my, I, my yeah. assumption is it's one night. Wikipedia says it doesn't. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, go against the grain and actually trust Wikipedia for once. Uh, and I, 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 apparently we have a two hour finale for this too. Oh, okay. So technically not going by production codes, this will give us an even 24 episodes this season. Uh, oh, but, Jack Bauer would love it. Oh, yes. This is truly a Jack Bauer-esque season with all the espionage going on. Regina, what are you doing? <laughs> that was my that was my my my, very, my poor man's Jack Bauer. It, 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 works. it works. It works. So, so if you if guys you have, have any sort of recommendations as to how people can improve their spying techniques, whether they should put their phones on vibrate or ring here in Storybrook, or if you have any ideas about what the author rules might be, or if you know when Lily might come in, if you have any ideas of what adult actresses may play Lily or any other questions, you have a bunch of ways to reach out to us. Of course, you can always leave comments and questions on the show page itself. Uh, you can always, if you haven't yet subscribed to our once upon a time only feed, you can do that by going to postshowrecaps.com slash once iTunes. And while you're there, please uh, rate and review us that, that we always enjoy that. We, we, we want as many stars at least as the ones that are on Lily's wrist when we first met her. And of course you can always reach out to us on our social media channels. Kurt, how can people find you on social on twitter uh i am at kurt clark on twitter that's uh kurt with a c for all of you big brother canada fans oh goodness i you you always have resembled a beauty pageant contestant to me kurt 
I like to think of myself more as a cruise director. Cruise ship. <laughs> Just don't tell anyone that. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at a Mike Bloom type. Kurt and I are both always very receptive to any comments or questions or corrections that you may have. And of course, we're always grateful to the audience that is listening to this every week. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be listening to any other stuff here on Post Show Recaps. Uh, Justified is just about wrapping up. Better Call Saul season one is just about wrapping up. Uh, I believe at the time of recording this, the season, the season finale of The Walking Dead just aired. Uh, we have SNL going on, Seinfeld going on, and we have a bunch of other one-time things going on as well. I don't know if you if you got to listen, Kurt, but this past week I got together with Jessica Lees and Akiva Wienerker, and we talked about, it was the 10-year 10, 10 anniversary of the pilot episode of The Office, so we got into a nice, good discussion of the entire series as a whole. Were, were you an Office fan back in the day? I was, I was. I really enjoyed the UK version, and I was kind of uh, in a, a, a classic hipster way, like, oh, I'm not going to watch the U.S. version because it's not going to beat the U.K. version. But I think after uh, I think I, I relented and gave it gave it a shot and ended up uh, sticking with it through the entire run. Yeah, it's I mean, there's there's nothing in the U.S. that can challenge the majesty that is Free Love Freeway from the U.K. But it's still it was a lot of fun. It was one of the first comedies that I mean, it premiered when I was like 15. So that was definitely in my formative years. And I, it was one of the only shows that I really stuck through to begin with. But that was a lot of fun. And actually, speaking of a Akiva. I will be getting together with Akiva in a couple days to do a, a little podcast about the Comedy Central roast of Justin Bieber as well. It's in my DVR, ready to watch tomorrow. Good. Never say never to that DVR. No. <laughs> so lots of stuff coming up on Poster Recaps. Also, if you want to get a listen to Kurt, he appeared on the the main Rob has a podcast feed last week to recap the premiere of Big Brother Canada, as he alluded to. And uh, there are less rules in Big Brother Canada than there are rules in the Once Upon a Time universe. So if you're worried about getting confused at the moment, it's not as convoluted. Marginally, I think marginally, marginally less convoluted. Yes. All right. So to, to finish this up, Kurt, do you have a hashtag for those people that have made it all the way through this podcast? Um, I'm guessing that uh, based on Hook's jealousy, hashtag leather fetish would probably not be an appropriate one for us to go. <laughs> NSFW. <laughs> yeah. So maybe a uh, hashtag dwarf alert. Oh, I love that. All right. So hashtag dwarf alert. And we can use that from now on as well when whenever a dwarf pops up. But we'll 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 start the the hashtag crusade right now. Use hashtag dwarf alert. Again, we will not be having a podcast next week. So Kurt and I will be we'll get together again in two weeks to cover up all the aftermath of the author now running around Storybrooke. So thank you guys again for listening. Again, hashtag dwarf alert if you've made it all the way to the end. And while you're out there for the two weeks, be sure to buy two sizes of onesies for your dragon baby shower present. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.